Welcome to Story Smack. This is episode 70 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist. And would you like to know the probability of this episode being funny? Yeah. It's high. It's very high. <laughs> and back with us. To- I got today. <laughs> back with us again today is Empty Set Movie Maven Rob Otto. Rob, how are you? I am one with the force, and should... the force is with me. That's oh all God. you need to know. Yeah, oh my God, and you... I know some of you are listening and not watching this. Rob has come. He's not messing around. He brought his uh, land or his uh, Millennium Falcon. He bought the original original Millennium Falcon. He's dressed the part. Uh, I understand you might also be having a a themed drink today. I am. And this, uh, I I would love to take credit. Scott tried to give me credit for this, (laughs) but uh, there was an author that made a specific drink when this movie, Rogue One, came out. And it is called a gin and juice, (laughs) a (laughs) J-Y-N after the lead character, Jin Urso. Oh, nice. You know. Some gin, some uh, orange juice, some pineapple juice. It's it's lovely. It's it nice seems and lovely, yeah. And we are drinking. We kind of comped out. We're drinking gin and tonics, but it's spelled uh, the same. It's J Y. You know, it's a, it's a J Y tonic. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So there you go. Ooh, cheers. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. If you're drinking at home and if you're listening to a podcast, you can pause this. Yeah. And you can go get yourself a beverage, and you can uh, listen to us while we get our drink on, and get our Star Wars, get our geek on. Absolutely. On this episode, we are discussing the 2016 Star Wars movie, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Um, can you give us the movie guy uh, I, a synopsis? I can. I can. Yeah, here we go. All looks lost for the rebellion against the Empire as they learn of the existence of a new superweapon, the Death Star. Once a possible weakness in its construction is uncovered, the Rebel Alliance must set out on a desperate mission to steal the plans for the Death Star. One woman, the future of the entire galaxy, now rests upon her success. There you go. Thank you. And, of course, we love to start every one of these uh, with, we got to talk about the ducats. We got to talk about the money. Making a movie is an incredibly expensive operation, very complicated, and it's a business. You guys always complain, like, hey, they make crappy movies and they make money. It's about business. Baby, tell me about the box office of this bad boy. Well, this is kind of interesting because we, as a trio, the three of us, as we've been doing Story Smack since we've been in lockdown, have talked quite a lot about movies that over, literally, that are 30 years old, 25 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, 40 years old. And today we're talking about... Rogue One, it came out in 2016. So I thought, well, I mean, I always do the conversion to real dollars. And when I do that for Rogue One, Rogue One cost $200 million to That's make. That was its budget. $200 mm-hmm. million dollars before marketing. Okay. And it, uh, it that would be $22.4 million in today's dollars. That's less impressive than sometimes when I do the conversion. But here's the thing. It's box office. It has made $1.1 billion. billion. (laughs) My goodness. That's over a billion dollars. And if you're unclear, a billion is way bigger than a million. It's impressive. It's the first billion that we've ever had. and uh, th- that we're talking about, and I'm not sure how many they are, but there can't be that very many. So uh, it made 1.1 billion billion, billion dollars. <laughs> Robbie, give us it's your okay. give us your general thoughts, high level thoughts in this movie. Then we're going to start talking about writers and cast and all the other good stuff. Got it. So this movie came out after the you know the number what seven right uh-huh. which was uh, the Force Awakens right. So the, okay. this is the second of the Disney Star Wars movies, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they came out after. And, you know, Force Awakens was okay. It was well-received-ish, mm-hmm. but people weren't sure. So when this one came out, I think it cemented. Real Star Wars fans said, okay, Disney's got their crap together. Now, they've made some subsequent movies that uh, tell us we were wrong, but at the time, <laughs> this movie restored our faith in the Star Wars galaxy. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think um, this is it's an interesting thing because anybody who's a Star Wars fan and a, a fan of Disney movies was like, wait a minute, what? How are we going to do this? And this was a good show. But one of the things that I love the most about this movie is we hear a lot um, about movies getting ruined because 
because Hollywood makes movies by committee. Uh, everybody has a say, the newest executive has a say, that sort of thing. And something that was beautiful and had a great, good, hard thing to tell ends up being sort of washed out. My favorite, 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 favorite book before I met my husband was a book called uh, A Winter's Tale. And it was made into a movie by Ang Lee. And I was so excited to go see it. And it was so it, it was remarkably terrible that that's all I will say about it. It's my it's one of my favorite books on earth and I hate it and it died by committee. That said, Rogue One might be the best made by committee movie ever because mm. Kathleen Kennedy, who is the president the CEO of Lucasfilm, becomes is still the CEO of Lucasfilm when when Disney buys Lucasfilm, but she remains uh, autonomous in a certain amount of, in, in certain ways. So uh, part of Lucasfilm is Industrial Light and Magic, and we will get into this. But John Knoll, right? Knoll, yeah. Uh, John Knoll, who has worked with Kathleen Kennedy for years at Industrial Light and Magic, uh, looks at the treatment for the new thing, says, ah, "I have this great idea that's better," and she's like, "Cool, yes, run with it." Also, I'm going to give you this director because he just did a big monster movie, and I think he can. And, and she's been in the industry 30 years, so he says, "All right, I'll work with." It. I mean, I'm not saying I don't know how that conversation went down, but he's like, "Sure, fine, Gareth, that works." And she's like, "Also, I need to rewrite. We're going to have to have more voices here," and. He it turns out to be, for me, the no question best Star Wars movie that, that wow. has ever wow, been wow, made. Wow. Because wow, 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 it's wow. internally consistent. Says we were talking lot. about this last night. Yeah. It's also intrinsically consistent. It's internally consistent to the universe at Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And this movie is a perfect circle. And it starts where it ends. And it doesn't change Except for the better, it doesn't sort of disrupt the timeline of Star Wars. So I love that. And, and then there's so few movies in Hollywood that have been made well by committee. Let me tell you my thoughts on this movie, ladies and gentlemen. Here's my high-level thoughts on this, uh, this propaganda film. First of all, let's talk about these criminals. Let's talk about these goddamn <laughs> oh, criminals. Lord. Oh, Lord. I would like to point out that the first Death Star is depicted in various sources of having a crew of 265,675, as well as 52,276 gunners, 607, 360,000 troops, 30,984 stormtroopers, 42,782 ship support staff, and 80,216 pilots and support crew. That means Jin, K2, and the rest of those thuggish criminals were responsible for the deaths of 1. 1.7, 1.18 <laughs> 1. million sentient beings and 400,000 droids. Wait, that does not count the 46,785 officers, crew, and stormtroopers on each Star Destroyer. Two of which went down in Rogue One. Moment of silence for the Intimidator and the Persecutor. That's adding another 93,570 deaths, not even counting the ground troops, the personnel for the Shield Gate. That is 1,272,863 sentient beings that criminal Jin Erso murdered and 400,000 droids. Support the troops. Support the troops. Okay. There we go. I've said my piece. Yes, but they were all bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the crew. Let's talk about the cast, all the good stuff. Let me get that switched over to our actors. Oh, that's a problem. Uh -oh. That's a bit of an issue. There it is. Oh, hey. And hi. Robbie, lead us off with Mr. John Knoll. So, yeah, A touched on this, and John Knoll really is the the passion behind this. So John Knoll um, is just a visual arts legend, right? I mean, we're talking The Abyss, uh, the Mission Impossible movies, Star Trek movies, the Star Wars prequels. I mean, he works on all of these. He wins an Oscar for one of the Pirates, the Caribbean movies. I mean, John Knoll is huge, and he works at Industrial Light and Magic when Disney buys Lucasfilm, right, and owns all of this. And they were all seeing because, you know, they would send out ideas to the ILM guys to say, hey, work me up just a short little treatment of how this would look and what this would look like, right? So they got to see all the ideas mm -hmm. that Disney was thinking about making Star Wars movies. And he was just kind of like, these all kind of suck. I mean, <laughs> if I was making a movie, I would do this. Uh -huh. I would essentially make a movie out of the crawl of the first Star Wars movie. I mean, think about it. It is a period of civil war, right? The rebel starships uh, attacking from a hidden base mm -hmm. have just won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire during the battle. Mm -hmm. uh, rebel spies have managed to steal the secret uh, drawings of the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star. 
Okay. That's this movie. That's the original right. crawl of A New Hope back in 77. Mm -hmm. And he just started talking about it with all the guys at ILM. And they're like, that's a good idea. Let me draw this up for you. Oh, it could look like this. And they just started kind of collaborating on this idea, eventually got it to a 30-minute pitch. And they're all like, John, you got to take this to Kathleen Kennedy. Mm -hmm. You got to show her this. And she saw it. And she's like, that's it. That is the first non trilogy movie we are going to make and mm -hmm. she put it into production immediately it's a great decision and john noel of awesome. course worked on all the effects and all that yeah. kind of stuff but it was just the guys who were on the ground you know the the stormtroopers if you will who <laughs> rose up and came up with this idea and that's where beautiful. rogue one came from that's from beautiful. people who were already intrinsically involved with star wars and already loved star wars and that yeah. that's a, why it's such a great movie that's what you felt through every moment of this is mm -hmm. All the Easter eggs, all the inside connections. Y you could tell when I saw Rogue One, I'm like, I don't know who the hell wrote this, but they live and breathe and die Star Wars. They've been in it forever. And you can tell, which also is apparent when you watch the other movies, like that's a different generation's yeah. take on the thing. But these guys kind of grew up with us and mm -hmm. watched the same movies yep. we did. Well, and not only that, many of these people who worked on Rogue One literally worked on your favorite movies. Yeah. Like they oh, are they've been at industri yeah. industrial light and magic forever and so they know the universe super well because they've been working mm -hmm. in it forever. And we, let's uh, let's talk about something. We got the <laughs> screenwriters baby. Yeah, we do. Them, so right? I've got there's a, oh my goodness, there's so many screenwriters on this. There's many. There are many <laughs> many many. many. So <laughs> of course, village to write this movie yeah. apparently. So John uh Noel has this 30-minute pitch. This is where it starts and then a screenwriter named Gary Witta is the person who takes over. Um, he writes the first draft, uh, the entire first draft of the screenplay, and came up with the film's title of Rogue One. He also works, um, <clears throat> this is the the very first movie, as Robbie mentioned, where the scroll, the yellow scroll, doesn't happen at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, of course, it it's already been done. I did not, I did not <laughs> notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's literally, it says, it, it is um, starts with uh, I think Rogue One colon a Star Wars story or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it's over <laughs> because the thing that we're doing is already known. We know exactly what's happening. We've been watching what's happening for well, if 30 you think years. About it, if, this you know? is, if this is the first movie, there's no scroll to get you caught up. The thing with Star Wars mm -hmm. was episode <coughs> episode four, right. and then even episode one, you need the scroll to get you caught up to yeah. this. No, well, I got, I've got that completely well, wrong. And I'm Gary, sorry. Completely Gary would have absolutely wrote more than one uh, scroll. Okay. But the reality was, like, you sort of exactly know what's going on, because this is taking place breaths before episode four, mm -hmm. A New Hope. It mm -hmm. literally is a day or two before that. This so, movie essentially is the scroll for A New Hope. I mean, this exactly. is the, this movie is the scroll. So You're they right. don't need a scroll. This is the scroll yeah. for the next movie. Yeah. So he, uh, Gary Widow writes a treatment of it uh, and also involves Chris uh, Whites, I think is how you say his name. Chris Whites also does a, uh, does a pass um, with uh, Gary. And they go through, and you can see, this is Chris, and there are, there are very lovely little moments in this where um, they name uh, towns, they name characters. Literally, after nicknames, uh, uh, Chris Whites does a... Um, a Baze Malbus is actually named after his first D&D character, who was half-elf. <laughs> uh, Malbus was that character's name. And so you see this over and over again where they're putting tiny little touches. Uh, Chris Weitz lists uh, A New Hope as his favorite movie and has his entire entrance into Hollywood, not just when he was working with Kathleen Kennedy and ILM. Like, it's always been a thing about him. So a lot of the times what you're seeing for Rogue One are people who adored this movie. Yeah. Or this, this franchise. Uh, franchise. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. So um, Chris Weitz does a pass on Witta's final draft of the script and makes it so the main characters all die at the end. Chris Witta had written, and I don't, we don't know, There's the, this is confirmed that it's true that Chris uh, Gary Witta had left... Uh, had left it with a wedding right at the end of Rogue One. Okay. Um, and we don't know who two were getting married, but it doesn't matter because Chris Weitz does a final draft. He makes sure everybody dies at the end of this movie. Nice. And Can I jump in real quick sure. there, A, just to mention, I love the fact that there's no love story in this movie. It's great. You have it's a great. very strong female lead, and she and Cassian, they have a couple of moments, but it's never pronounced. They never kiss. They never do any of that. And 
if this wedding is probably going to be Jen and Cassie and probably. this is who you think it's going to yeah, be, right. that would have ruined it. it I, I love that she's a strong female character that doesn't need the love of a man to prove that she's important. You know 100%. I mean? And vice versa. It's important because this movie is about people willing to die for their cause. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's no way they would have had to just jackboot that in there. Like, just shove in yep. some kind of romance for anybody. Because all these people are like, well, I mean, I guess we knew this could always be a possibility. Am I willing to die for the right for other people to live? Now, there, there is the other side of that, that, well, if we're about to die, we might as well screw. I mean, there is, <laughs> there is that. I mean, that's what that's I would where, be doing. That's my brain would go to. Well, we got a three-hour flight to, let's we got yeah. some time. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, I, if I were in Rogue One, I'd for sure be an NPC, like, in the background, just like a bunny. Like, uh, doing it, doing yeah. it, doing it, doing we, it. We also thought about right at the end when Jen, Jen, and, Jen and Cassian are sitting mm-hmm. on the beach watching the shockwave come in. Uh, my first thought was, like, that looks like it's about a minute and a half away. We might as well go for it. Let's knock it out right now and go out on top. I've finished in far less time than that. I'm just saying. All right. Bring out the dill droid. Okay. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. This one's not a family show. Also, I guess I should have told you guys. Spoilers. Spoilers. Oh, spoilers. spoilers. For Star Wars. Right, so, actually, on no on. spoiler. No, no, hang on, there, hang on. There is no dill droid. That there is not is a spoiler. Not so, a spoiler. Uh, after it's all said and done, and Chris Weitz, who, by the way, was born on the exact same day as both of you gentlemen. Um, I did not know that. Wow. I was born uh, exactly the same day as you guys. Um, after that's all done, established filmmaker Tony Gilwear is brought in to oversee the reshoots and reworks and rewriting of some of the scenes. Uh, Tony's work in reshaping the film through the editing process created new scenes, and it meant he earned a script writing credit. Here's the interesting thing. So much... Uh, was changed after uh, Gilroy started uh, rewrites that everything in the trailer, uh, the original trailer, doesn't show up in like the, the, movie. the TIE fighter shit looking down yeah, Jin, doesn't stuff make like it that. into Looking the final stuff. Yeah, them running on the beach. That never happens. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. right. They essentially rewrote the whole third act, and then thank goodness, because that third act is freaking phenomenal, right? It's the so end good. of this movie it's, is so it, well done. So much fighting. So much fighting. Yeah. And then we move on to director Gareth Edwards, who uh oh, that's Tony Mr. There's Gareth there Edwards right there. Hey Tony. He did a lot of stuff to try and get that 70s gestalt back. He asked the extras to grow out their sideburns and mustaches to fit the 70s aesthetic. He was also instructed the department to use only elements that would have been available in 1977 to get the movie look contemporary to Star Wars. Flight control animations, for example, had to be kept as simple as possible, resisting the urge to make them too flashy. And uh, let's, let's point this out. We got to see this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. several times. And it was great. See, it was great. And they did not do that in the prequels. Right. It was yeah. jarring to go from the end of the prequel. Right. Where all of a sudden they throw in and Anti- Captain Antilles ship and everything looks basic compared to everything we've seen for three movies. They should have done what Gareth Edwards kept did. It, and that's why this movie also works, because it fits in where it's supposed to fit. And, in. and this is an interesting thing, because if you think about it, um, is sort of ice in an isolated way. The movie has absolutely nothing to do with 1976. Nothing at all. Obviously, mm-hmm. we know this. Yet, what Rob just said is totally true. What we notice is the absence of that thought in in the prequel movies, and yeah. and it's uh, you know we do a lot of uh, book design, and book design is such a beautiful art because the only way you recognize it is when you see bad book design. You never notice when it's right. And it's the same thing that happened here. You don't quite notice that they all had sideburns, right. that the CGI is subtle. a little back, very you know, sort of held back and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it really, I, I agree with you, Rob, it changed everything. It made you able mm-hmm. to just watch and embrace it and not compare and contrast. And yep. that was a big decision. He didn't want it to be too flashy. He didn't want to overshadow the movie this directly leads into and have the super high tech and then you go watch A New Hope and it's super low tech. It would be jarring. He did a couple of cool things. Uh, a number of sets designed to be shot in 350 degrees so he could just organically have the film and cast and crew do whatever they want in the set. The crew even had to wear Star Wars costumes in case the camera <laughs> rotated too quickly. I love this. And they got caught in a shot. So you missed Freaking that. love it. That Game of Thrones Starbucks cup, not going to yeah, happen here. Sure. Everybody, right. Everybody's like, imagine the crew like, wait, we not only get to be part of a shot of a, a Star Wars movie, we get to cosplay the whole fucking time. <laughs> yeah, exactly that must have right. been amazing. Ziggler, 
You know, you and I would have done that, and we would desperately have tried to inch into the shot every freaking chance we could. Oh, you would, you would be like, "Did you guys? I am. Um, I was supposed to report here with this. Does anybody need this?" And uh, one other super cool thing, which I didn't know watching until I got uh, notes from Robbie Gareth Edwards and his creative team discovered some old film canisters while rummaging around the Lucasfilm warehouses. It was unused original Star Wars footage. The discovery led to the inclusion of unused episode four material and featuring red leader and gold leader in the movie. And Rob likes that because Rob is plaid leader. That's oh, right. Well, yes, yes. that's exactly right. Uh, plaid. So we're actually going to move on to the cast. Yep. The cast, of course, starts with, this is Felicity Jones, who plays Jin. Uh, Felicity Jones, uh, if you are British, you probably have her, you grown up with her. She was a child actress, started acting pretty much full-time on the radio and TV at around 12 years old. Okay. If you are an American and you are old enough like me to remember Jodie Foster growing up. She stopped for a while and went to university. So did Felicity Jones. But other than that, she's been pretty much working since she was 12 years old. This mm-hmm. is, of course, her with her uh, Diego Luna, her Rogue One co-star. Uh, she w- was acting pretty steadily. And then in 2014, The Theory of Everything came out, which is a uh, Stephen Hawking biopic. And she played Stephen Hawking, one of Stephen Hawking's wives. Mm -hmm. And she was super, super well recognized by the critics critics for that. She got a Golden Globe nomination, a SAG, a a Screen Actors Guild nomination, a BAFTA nomination, and an Academy Award for Best Actress nomination in 2014. And she literally walks off of that into Rogue One. It's impressive. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting. Into a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Because if there's, if you grew up in a world that had Star Wars in it as an actor and then you are going to be the main face of a movie. Yeah. I'm not sure there's a better way to walk into that as opposed, as, uh, as, being so well rewarded for the thing you did last. It must have been so overwhelming for her to be like, everything's, oh my God, my career is rocking. This is great. Um, What? Star Wars what? Sorry? Yeah. Star Wars? Well, and... Uh, uh, Lead? uh, Okay. And then knowing that like Runa Mary and uh, Kate Mara, Runa Mara and Kate Mara, they got, there were so many people who auditioned for this lead role and then you get it. You're like, whoo, okay, let's go, you know? And I think she did a great job. And Rob, Pretty decent year. Pretty decent year for Felicity Jones, I would say. Rob, tell us about her co-star, Mr. Diego Luna. Yeah, he plays uh, Cassian Andor, the captain, and, and really kind of, you know, the, the male lead of this, who starts off not trusting and begrudgingly working with Jin, and then at the end, he's the reason everyone kind of, you know, goes with her and, mm-hmm. and really starts this rebellion. Um, Diego Luna, as many Mexican actors did, he's also a singer and director and producer, mm-hmm. but he started in the telenovelas, uh, right? I mean, that's that's okay. that's where most uh, Mexican actors would start. But then, you know, uh, Itu Mama Tambien, Open Range, Milk, Rudo Crisi, uh, The Havana Nights Dirty Dancing wow. sequel. Of course he can dance. I mean, Desperado. Yeah. Of course you get, but he's he's everywhere, and he is just he's got a huge range. He's playing you know dramas, he's playing comedies, he's playing you know telenovelas, which are all over the top kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And what I really love is that they didn't have him change his accent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in this in in this universe where pretty much every human has either a British or an American accent, right? Right now. All the other races have many different accents and mm-hmm. weird ways of talking. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't some humanoids who grew up in a different area or a different planet or whatever have slightly different accents. Sure. And that's what they did. And I think it's fantastic. And he just, he carries this movie so well. He he is the he's first, um, I don't trust her. I don't want to work with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see it change as she proves herself again and again right. to the point where now he's on her side. And he is going to do whatever he can because he now realizes she is the one. And She's the one who, who can say it and get us all moving in the right direction. And that's part of the, the, the taught script writing combined with excellent acting and good direction is the he point. does that 180 as a character. His character does that 180. And it's believable. It's mm-hmm. belie- There's mm-hmm. no point where you're like, oh, now he's good. Okay, now we think she's yeah. awesome. Well, of course, I never had that moment. Right? It all sure. made, it was granular. It was it was natural. progressive and natural. Mm-hmm. It all made perfect sense, which when you do that in a 120-minute in a screenplay is, is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, well, and here's something to be said. Uh, I mentioned this about the crew as well. There is, it, it can't be denied that the crew and the, ca- the people who wrote Rogue One and who uh, envisioned Rogue One 
are dyed-in-the-wool Star Wars peeps. Diego mm-hmm. Luna is no different, but he is also a dyed-in-the-wool actor. Mm-hmm. His uh, mom is a British actor. She dies in a car accident when he's two years old, so he uh, gains um, a whole British family who speak yep. natively speak English, mm-hmm. and he grows up in Mexico. I think Mexico City with his dad, who is to this day the premier set designer and set wow. director well, well, in well. Mexico. Um, and so he is surrounded by arts and artists and acting his entire life, and also has an entire family who are native English speakers. So he grows up speaking very natural English, mm-hmm. and, and this actually serves him a million. We've seen him in a dozen movies that yep. that he's bringing. His his culture in an accessible way. So I love that about this. And, and Cassian did not want to work with Jen. There was somebody else who did not want to work with Jen. <laughs> and that, of course, is... Whoop, I had one more of him. And that, of course, is Alan Tudyk as K2SO, who completely stole the show. My heart. As, so good. What, I love him. What Alan Tudyk is so exceptional at is taking a character actor role and just walking off the set and like, everybody loves him the most. Everybody it's, loves him the most. But this is true of everything. This is true of Tucker and Dale. Yep. This is true of Firefly. Yep. We've seen this thousands it's of times. something about that yep. dude. And good luck. Good. More power to you. Uh, he initially turned down the role because the start of the filming clashed with pre-production of his comedy series, Con Man, um, when Gareth Edwards told him that filming was being moved back by a month in July 2015, he agreed to join the production. And this is a cool shot you have up here because this is him in his motion capture suit. Oh, that's him in his. This okay. is him in his motion I thought capture. He was just suit. being stylish. No, no, this oh, is it. That's, that's, yeah, this, I like that shot that you chose because this is this is how he became. And there's an interesting side effect here. Uh, Alan, or, I'm sorry, Anthony Daniels met Alan Tudyk on the set of this. Anthony Daniels, if you don't know, played C-3PO. Yep. And uh, literally walked up to Alan Tudyk and said, "You know what? Fuck you." Because <laughs> Anthony Daniels had to be in his suit. In the C-3PO suit. In the suit. C-3PO suit. In the freaking desert. For many wow. movies. And Alan Tudyk is wearing this oh outfit that you see here. It looks comfortable. Like with dots on it. Exactly. <laughs> Alan Tudyk to this day says it is one of the, high, the, the highest zeniths of his career that Anthony Daniels walked up to him. The first thing he said was, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, oh. K2... Yeah. KS2O gets delivered the line. I got a bad feeling about this, but he gets cut off before the end of the famous quote. And this marked the 10th time that the line has been uttered in a Star Wars movie. I don't know why everybody has a bad feeling. Things work out pretty darn good. Almost. Well, not in I this mean, one. I was going to. Well, well oh, wait a minute. Not in this wait. one. No, but they never go to plan. You're going to have a bad <laughs> feeling because we're going to have to freaking improvise half of this. So, yeah. And of but course, you're right. K2SO has all the best All the great lines. ones. If there's a good line, other than like, I am the force and the force is with me. Right. Other than that, every other memorable line from this movie comes out of that droid. And it is fantastic. He he literally, there's there's a couple of moments of comedic, comic relief. Only a couple that do not involve him. He is exceptional. He's so good in this. And of course, uh, A and I just finished up watching (sighs) season one of his starring role in Resident Alien, which I will not lie, I completely looked down my nose at. I know. We we went to watch this and A and I I have had a couple of experiences. We go to watch a show and I'm like, well, this is going to suck balls, whatever. And then I watch it and it turns out to be great. This was another one because I was like, bro, they already did Mork and Mindy. It's fine. And it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, we did like a handshake. You've avoided I've watching been avoiding it. it. Yeah. yeah, I've been avoiding it for the same reason. Because I looked at it. While, I love Alan Tudyk. I don't want to watch something I'm going to hate. Right, you don't, don't want like a him. bad He's Star so He's Starman so yeah. remake. You don't want really? any of that. So we yeah. made an agreement. Literally, actually shook hands like 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 the little rascals. You know, the rascals. <laughs> we're going to watch one. And then if it sucks, you know, you don't have to watch anymore. And then we watched the whole thing. It was great. Uh, I will tell you that he's he's fantastic in it. The special effects are really good, which was surprising. Uh, it is not it, it's got a lot of heartwarming moments, but it's also got a lot of cursing, a lot of very evil moments. Uh, and the supporting cast is freaking fantastic. The well, supporting cast is great. And without doing too much of a spoiler, I will say we often see f- sort of feel good aliens. And Alan Tudyk's not one. Uh, character in the, as Harry in Resident Alien, yeah, might not fall on the spectrum as a good alien. He's not a good guy. That so, actually makes me want to watch it more. Yeah, it was Let's, super fun. <laughs> and he does a great job, as always. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. 
in a time when the world outside is unsafe. It's vital for Piura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Piura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on to the other guy I thought stole the show. Now, we've seen that the um, stage acting in Star Wars movies sometimes is not all that great. Depends what the movie is. Yeah. And then they brought in this gentleman, Mr. Donnie, Donnie Yen. Yen. Tell me about it, baby. I think you say this as Shirut Imwe. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you got it. Uh, he plays Shirut Imwe. He initially turned down the role when it was offered to him, but... His kids got real excited about the idea of him being in a Star Wars movie, and so he joined the cast, which I absolutely love. They changed his mind. Um, It was also his idea for Sharit to be blind during the, the, well, blind in general. Uh, Gareth Edwards, the director, thought that was fine and cool and ran with it. Um, Real two questions. I got two questions about this. Number one. Uh, blind like Daredevil's blind. It doesn't impact him whatsoever. No problem no. at all. So it's a little confusing. Number two, was this guy a Jedi who had put down the lightsaber or or not? Was he not a Jedi? I was very confused by that. Rob, do you have any theories on that? No, I, I, he is he is not a Jedi. Yeah, I don't think okay. he's a Jedi. just someone that, and possibly because of his blindness, is so in tune with the Force that That's he can I feel think. the things around him. But Okay. He never talks about training. He never talks about honing the skill. It just kind of comes naturally to him. So I suppose mm-hmm. had the Jedi... Remember, this is a chunk of time when the Jedi aren't around. They aren't training new people. They've mm-hmm. been dead and gone for years. Okay. So had they caught him as a child, they likely would have realized how ah. in touch with the Force he oh, is. Okay. And so would have trained him. Okay. But there really are no Jedi at this time. Right. So no, he's not a Jedi. Uh, interesting side note, Jen Erso's mother, who we see in the opening scene, mm-hmm. um, original script, she was a hidden Jedi and fought the stormtroopers. But they took that out because they wanted this to be more about normal people. Mm-hmm. So this is really the first Star Wars movie that doesn't have a Jedi at its core, mm-hmm. which or, I think is good. Yeah, cool. or almost a Jedi at all until the very at last all? moment. Yeah, really. Yeah, and what's interesting about this is I think he, uh, you said the thing I think, that just like Daredevil uh, grows up learning intentionally learning sort of echolocation in the in mm-hmm. the framework that he has mm-hmm. i think that uh uh Donnie's character does the same thing. He just doesn't know the thing that he's echolocating off is the force. Okay. That like makes he sense. doesn't know that that's what he's doing. He just knows he's doing the right thing, it's which is exactly how the force works. So speaking of um, which, I want to throw this in now while you're talking about Donnie's, because there's this great scene. I wrote it in the notes later when they all get captured and have hoods put over them. Beautiful. All the other actors stumble at some point because they have hoods over their head. He just walks normally. <laughs> Perfect. It's <laughs> he, so good. He never stumbles. He never bumps into anything. Nothing. Because he's kind of used. Like, why are you putting a hood over my head? Oh, well, I mean, if you got to do that, fine. Yeah. yeah. And this whatever. is exactly it. These are the little moments, just like <laughs> like uh, Gareth Edwards making all the choices for everybody to seem 70s-ish, mm-hmm. that you never quite think about because they they just instinctively make sense right. to you. And it was such a beautiful thing. The only other uh, point I want to make about this particular character is Kathleen Kennedy and John Knoll decided that this character should be either Donnie or Jet Li. 
Oh. Those were the first two people that they were going to seek out. They started with Donnie because he was less expensive by about $6 million for his going rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, first, he, as you know, first I mentioned, he turned them down and then he accepted, which is great because then they had a little more room in there. And I, I will say, as a huge fan of combat cinema and uh, as, a, as a fan who gets super frustrated when you can't show a fight scene or all you do is do shaky cam, uh, Donnie Yen's fight scenes, I don't know who the choreographer was. I should have looked that up. But Donnie, Donnie Yen's physical combat ability to make it all look real and fast. There's none of this. As I gather up, here's a stormtrooper like going, I guess I'll just wait here to get hit in the chest. It's pop, 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 pop. It's exceptional. He's a, he's a brilliant so combat and, actor. Absolutely brilliant. And one thing that he does that Jet Li also does, which we also see quite a lot in Korean cinema, is they move very fast and they don't, um, while they are working, the when they are uh, in action, they are... All their energy is doing that. And then you see him in the off moments like. (sighs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because that's what you would really do. You wouldn't be like, I'm about to come at you. You would literally do that and then breathe later. And Rob, as far as far as um, acting credentials go, the breakout star from this movie moving Mm. forward in the world has got to be Riz Ahmed as Bodhi Rook. Yeah, so Bodie Rook is the um, is the pilot who is defecting, and he's the one that brings the message um, to Saw Gerrera that really starts this whole thing moving, right? I mean, the rebellion doesn't happen if Garen Iso, is Jin's father, doesn't send this pilot with the message, right? But Riz Ahmed, um, hugely regarded actor, it's really interesting. He was just nominated for an Oscar. I mean, mm-hmm. just just this last week mm-hmm. for the amazing movie The Sound of Metal which is about a um, a drummer who starts losing his hearing. I mean, you can just imagine like a metal, punk metal, drummer. And 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 it's such a personal story. I did not even realize they were the same actor. I mean, they look I, quite I, a lot did different. Not connect, yeah. Did not connect to me at all. Yeah. So so Riz, um, he has gotten, you know, nominations across the board. Daytime Emmys, uh, National Board of Review, Independent Spirit Awards, London Film Critics Award, British Actor of the Year, not Nominations now for Academy Awards, Golden Globes, Emmy Awards, Screen Actors Guild, British Independent Film Awards. I mean, this guy is just stud. Huge. Stud. Yeah. He's just so talented. Yeah, just so amazing. Talented. But yeah, but him, um, he was in the HBO miniseries The Night of, which was really a huge leaping stone for him because okay. that was his first really critically acclaimed role. He was mm-hmm. kind of a working actor to that point, and now the world's exploded for him. And this Oscar nomination is going to be taken. It's cool also, he is the first ever Muslim to be nominated yeah. for an acting award by that's the Academy. Amazing. So that's that's another huge thing. And, and, it's and an interesting... on top of everything else, he's a rapper. So, you know, <laughs> and what, an acclaimed what? rapper. Yes, what, what? Yeah. He's an acclaimed... Yeah. Oh my he's God, acclaimed. I have to and check that thing, out. Um, I think this is interesting because he's as it happens, his path to Oscar nomination, to Golden Globe nomination, were parts that resonated with him, but they weren't specifically Muslim parts, or yeah. that wasn't that that is irrelevant to every character that got him where he is in an awards way. And this mm-hmm. is the thing we always talk, you know, like Pete Gen in general, we talk about like it shouldn't we, it it should be so commonplace that there it doesn't have to be a special note. Right. And that's yeah. what he did. And more power to him. And Rob, tell us about, of course, the great, illustrious Mr. Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, so the cool thing. So Forrest Whitaker plays Saw Guerrera, who mm-hmm. is um um, you know, the, the person that eventually raises Jin Erso, right? And and he's part of the rebellion, but honestly, he's it's this is such an interesting time for the rebellion, right? Because it's really more of a committee at this point. And Saw Guerrera's going out there blowing shit up. And they're like, whoa, Saw, buddy, we're not blowing shit up. We're just having meetings right now. Man, we're we're passing like donuts and cookies around. What are you blowing <laughs> shit up? To the point where they're like, oh, he's too extreme. So they kind of excommunicate Saw Guerrera, the character, from you know, the, the actual rebellion, when it turns out he was right. That's the stuff they needed to be doing. But they got mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker, of course, Oscar nomination. And, and I mean, some some of the amazing movies you want to talk about a guy with range. Right. I mean, he's everywhere from Fast Times, Ridgemont High yep. um, to uh, Way of the Samurai and the Crying Game. And, uh, I mean, you know, he, uh, he plays Idi Amin. That's what he got nominated for. He won. He won. Scotland, right. Yeah, yep. He yep. won. And, and he won the award. Yeah. I mean, this is this is what we're talking about. And it's saw is interesting because 
while they were writing this movie, they, they had to come up with, we want to come up with some crusty guy who's part of the rebellion, but he's almost too much part of the rebellion. And, and we know he's going to be in bad physical shape. And they started trying to come up with a character. And then somebody was just like, well, you know, there's this Saw Gerrera character that's in one of the Star Wars cartoons. And it sounds like he's exactly the guy you're looking for. So they watched him in the cartoon. I'm like, holy shit, they already created this guy. So <laughs> yeah. he's like the, like the first character they brought from the, Star Wars cartoon, That's which are awesome. all canon, oh, and brought him into the live action world, which is freaking fantastic. And Forrest Whitaker, it's a small role in here. It's obviously pivotal, but he's really the first recognizable face you see early mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just it just brings some gravitas with it. And he played this one so well. I love this quote about him loving to play Saw. So this is a direct quote. He's a character who's fighting against oppression and those dark forces that were trying to harm humanity, yet decided to take on some of their practices in order to be able to win because he thought the final result was more important. So mm-hmm. for him, the ends justified the means. Mm-hmm. And we yep. hear Cassian later in his speech at the end when he's talking about all of us have done stuff for this rebellion. And now to hear these, you know, essentially politicians say it wasn't worth it and we're all going to stand down. Screw that, Jen. We're with you. Right. Mm-hmm. We right. have to know there was a reason why we were really bad people. And then the end result is it. That's how the rebellion gets started. Okay. So and it kind of starts. Saw Guerrera shows them the way to do that. Yeah, and I love I love that Forrest Whitaker took this part. Um, there are several people who've done this, of course, because he wants to be part of the Star Wars universe, yeah. but he has to do it in a way that seems that feels authentic to him because that's how he chooses all of his parts. And I will just right. say before I continue uh, on to uh, questions, I will say if you haven't seen Ghost Dog, uh, The Way of the Samurai. Get we'll ch- we'll check it. that out. Yeah, we'll yeah, check yeah. That out. So there are, uh, moving on, there are a couple of famous faces who are probably not uh, worth being called out entirely because of the size of their part. James Earl Jones is on the screen right now being one of them. Can you talk about a couple? There's two at least that we need to kind of recognize, at least maybe Well, three. you know, yeah, James shows up. You've got Darth Vader near the end, um, just a couple minutes of screen time. But who else are you going to have voice Darth Vader? You can't. Right? It's, I illegal. Mean, it's, it's illegal. It's illegal. It's fantastic. I mean... Honestly, you wonder, and, and I hope this is a long time coming, but <laughs> what a thank you. Yes, that's right. The force is strong. This one. Um, at some point, Darth Vader has to stop being used because James Earl Jones won't be available anymore. Sure. You it's know true. what I mean? And, and I, I don't want someone else doing his voice. So, yeah, James Earl Jones comes in. Um, and then the other one is Anthony Daniels. Oh, right? was such a hero. We already Look spoke about. Yeah. So now this is cool because we have, you know, the short scene with R2-D2 and C-3PO at the end of this movie. Anthony Daniels is the only actor who has an appearance in every single Star Wars live action movie. All right. So you have to count his voice work in Phantom Menace, Mm -hmm. right, because that was all CGI when they're first building C-3PO. And he's not C-3PO in the solo movie which everyone should ignore, by the way, but he plays another <laughs> character. They let him play another small character okay. so he could still be in that movie. What but yes, yeah, he is in every single live action and Star the Wars only movie, one, which right? is freaking cool. And the yeah. only What's human, that? the only the actor only who's oh, done oh, that. Oh, the only yeah. one. Absolutely. So the only one. Yep. And I wonder if, uh, is C-3PO the only character who's in, in R2-D2 is in all the movies? I don't know. I'm not they're, sure R2 is in think, all the movies. I don't think they're in all. Yeah. But Rob, uh, you, you spoke about Saw, Guerrera, and there's a couple other throwbacks to the old movies especially the first movie. Uh, tell us about that. Well, so are you talking about the... Well, we got, we got Wedge. Well, I want to talk about a couple of... A couple of the amazing thing. The the two guys that Luke and Obi-Wan get into a fight with in the oh. cantina are just uh-huh. have a quick, a quick moment <laughs> that I lost my shit when I saw the Rogue One. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm like, oh, this is a good movie. This is a good movie. I'm like, those are the two dudes in the Cantina. Those are the two guys. Those are the two guys. And That's like, the walrus-headed guy. That's him. It's friggin' awesome. Because this is the one moment in the whole movie where you, as a not 11-year-old mm-hmm. in the theater in 1977, you get pulled out in the best way and go, oh, wait a minute. This is literally the day before A New Hope. Yeah, it's or, really, or like really six early hours before, before really the new, early A before. New Hope starts. Yeah. And this is the way that that tethers you to that moment, I think. Yeah. And so you had, mentioned Wedge, yeah. Wedge Antilles. Mm-hmm. So he is a, by the way, Wedge Antilles is a, is almost the most important character in the original trilogy. Okay. I mean, he Tell survives me every, he survives every battle. 
He's actually the one that takes the shot, not Lando Calrissian in the Millennium Falcon. Wedge takes the shot that blows up the second Death Star. Is that I mean, right? I'm just saying he's he's in. Yes, he's very important. But we get Wedge Antilles. Uh, we hear his voice. He's like the PA announcer at okay. one of the rebel bases. So we hear his voice. So he even gets a, a bit of a throw out in this one. And Warwick Davis, he played the Ewok wicket, right? And, yep. you know, in the uh, in Return of the Jedi, um, he's with Tif B. He's one of uh, Saw Gerrera's military men, militiamen. Mm-hmm. But he has done that before as well. He, he was somebody in... Um, uh, Job of the Hutt's court. I mean, okay. he has played a lot of different small characters in the different movies. So it's cool that they gave him a part and they also let him be in this one. That's that's there's just like things fold over each other in the Star Wars universe. And, and the actors are geeky about these movies like we are. Mm-hmm. Like you said, right? right. A, they mm-hmm. want to be in these oh, sure. movies. And For there's sure. a reason yeah. why. Yeah, I, I, most, yeah. I, a lot of people would just absolutely do it for free. They'd be like, look, if I can just be in a Star Wars movie, that'd be fine. I would like to point out, now we're going to move on to general notes. We've got a, a few minutes left, 10, 15 general minutes notes. Left. And general notes, the first thing I would like to point out is I am a Star Wars fan, but I clearly am not a diehard, reading all the blogs Star Wars fan. Sure. I thought, up and literally up until I, after watching Rogue One last night and preparing this script... I was like, well, it's a good movie, but why didn't they name all of the Bothans? Because a lot of Bo- a lot of good Bothans died to get this information. I went and looked it up. If you're like me and you're wondering where the f are the Bothans, the bot that line uh, that uh, let's see, what was the line? Oh, I already said it. a lot of good Bothans. Many Bothans died to get this information. That's from Return of the Jedi. That is not from uh, a New Hope. Mm-hmm. That is about a bunch of people got the plans to do the. Star Wars to do the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. So I hope we get that movie somewhere. Also, last thing I'll say about this. You want to see some dead Bothans. Basically, what you want to see is dead Bothans. I want to see a lot of dead Bothans. All right. right. Star Wars is addicted to Death Stars. Let's go over the stats. Death Star 1, Star Wars. Death Star 2, Return of the Jedi. Star Killer Base, The Force Awakens. Sith Star Destroyers, The Rise of Skywalker. Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) What I don't understand, and we've talked, there are blogs forever about the... Um, the contractors on the Death Star, for example, or who mm-hmm. made the architecture of the Death Star. What I want to know is why these mofos keep saying like, oh, I get it. It was super easily defeated. We literally spent <laughs> our entire budget on one device that can only yeah, detonate yeah. in one place. Let's do that six more times. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense I to me. I do love, though, that because, you know, one... One of the arguments against against the original Star Wars was, well, how did it have a flaw to begin with? That's what this movie oh, explains, which, oh. I, which I think is pretty cool. And yeah, I, it's I, beautiful. That's what I'm talking about. The the threading that went into this and the amount mm-hmm. of work by people who live and breathe the thing. You watch Star Wars, you're like, okay, the trash compactor can blow up the whole goddamn thing. Okay, pal, I'm going to let that MacGuffin slide and just enjoy the movie. Because mm-hmm. that's what it was in the original movie. It was just this little throwaway thing. Yep. Probably some interns like, what if the trash compactor doesn't work? And, and Luke is like, go with it. We're busy. We're behind schedule. That's yeah. fine. Let's do it. <laughs> and then the writers for this went through and not only took that MacGuffin and made it legit, made it the cornerstone of the entire plot. Right. So the, yep. the father of Jenner so... He, in, it's not just a thing they found out. It is intentionally embedded intentional. and hidden. Yep. They established it's intentional, it's embedded, and he hid it from everybody because he's the guy who designed it. I was like, the first time I saw them, I'm like, holy shit. Genius. That is some grade, grade yep. A script writing right there was fantastic. Yeah, and you know, um, Jin's father is modeled on Robert uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer because oh, he had that same problem. He created a device that could destroy humanity and knew he had to do it and knew it was necessary and knew he'd done it and wished it wouldn't happen. Yeah, the guilt wished it wouldn't it, detonate. Right? Yeah. Like I, am, I know we I need am to the make destroyer these. of worlds. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. I That's, am the calm death. How do you yeah. live with that? Yeah. yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly yeah. Right. So I love that. Um I do love um, let's I, see. We did talk oh, about go, go um, so many times. Sorry, Rob. We talked so many times about um, this, all the people, all the crew, the cast, the writers, everybody for this movie um, are huge Star Wars fans and wanted to be honest and uh, relatable to A New Hope because mm-hmm. they knew how how close together chronologically these were. 
The costume designers themselves also, to costume, head costume designer David Crossman, uh, stated some of the original costumes from A New Hope are repurposed in this one as yeah, well, I mean, because, seriously. of course, they're still in archives. I don't care. I want Obi-Wan's sweat on me. I, I, me you know, I want Lawrence Olivier's sweat on me from 1976. <laughs> I don't care. I'm putting that damn stinky-ass thing on. Hell yes. Hell yes. And that includes Darth Vader's costume, which was meticulously patterned after his look in the original. One thing to point out, there's so many love letters in this, one of which... The firing sequence of the Death Star is copied exactly frame for frame from the original mm-hmm. Star Wars. That mm. is, that's, that's the kind of stuff where you're like, oh, these guys who made this movie, they are just like us and have just yep. watched this a thousand because times. They also knew that if they did it differently, some geek on some blog would have pointed it out and we all would have liked it that they pointed that out, right? Sure. Yeah, Same thing, sure. the blueprints, right? That original sequence when we see the blueprints in A New Hope. Um, you know, and they, they're rotating around. Apparently, none of the drawings from that still existed. So they sat down and went frame by frame of that original footage mm-hmm. of the blueprints and redrew it by hand, frame by frame. Because they, again, knew that if it was a little bit off, they'd get called out. Sure. And they didn't sure. want anyone to say, you should have spent more time making this movie better. So they just spent the time right at the beginning <laughs> to make this movie better. <laughs> they know they're going to get crushed for it. Uh, this I did not uh-huh. know till we got this, these notes. This first big screen Star Wars movie that John Williams has not recorded the score for. Yeah. Michael Giacchino. Uh, Giacchino. Giacchino mm-hmm. composed the music for Rogue One. I thought he did a great job. He yep. previously composed the music for J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies, so he was the only composer to have composed film, film scores for both Star Wars and the Star Trek franchises. It's lovely. Yeah, well, I um, you guys may know I have um, I, I have worked with Adam Savage uh, along the way here and there and uh, he's a he's worked with Michael Giacchino so I happen to know him he is I know firsthand he was stupid excited about getting to, to work on Star Wars and I know that because I didn't know him back then in 2016 but I know him now and he he brings it up every chance he can because it's just so cool you know yeah. he's, he's this God, huge yes. powerful big in you know uh, people want him to work on their things and he's he's just the coolest geeky guy and i love that so many people on this casting crew are just huge star wars geeks it's such a nice thing i think i like to hear the stories uh, i like to hear the stories when the cast gets along you know you know what i mean because sometimes you hear the stories where they hated each other made a great movie but freaking hated each other right right Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. not the case so while they were shooting in the maldives which is the whole um uh, battle of scarif scene because they got to be on the water on the sand, right? Um, Alan Tudyk, Diego Luna, and Felicity Jones all lived together on a boat while they were there in the Maldives shooting. That's what you want to hear, that they bonded, they were friends, they lived together, they worked together, even if it was just for a few weeks. I it's love fa- that. Fabulous. Kind of stuff. Fabulous. That's and you know, like you, you want to think that they're sending each other memes on Facebook. No, you know, just, to oh, this yeah. day, to this <laughs> day, they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And truly, who wouldn't want to live with Alan Tudyk? I'm oh, just saying. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I have one come other on. fun fact. Um, Scarif, <laughs> the name Scarif for the, ba- you know, the, the place in the Battle of Scarif, that actually came from. Um, Gary, the two screenwriters, Gary um, Whitka and Chris, uh-huh. uh, watching Gareth, the director, order Starbucks coffee with his British accent. And he went and said, it's Gareth. Scarith, and what showed up on his Starbucks cup was Scarith. No way. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> that's amazing. It's true. And they were like, whatever, we're putting that in, we're making that's, it a tag. That's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, one so thing, there, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's going to hold up forever. Uh, a lot, yeah. especially the panning shots of planets, all the landscape shots. There's so much in this movie that is done so so close to reality, it literally, it will still look great 80 years from yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. One thing that will not look great 80 years from now, which is sad because it's such a technological achievement, is the CGI characters. Hmm. You know, Peter Cushing redone and uh-huh. Carrie Fisher. It, the, the level of technology that goes into making them look as good as they did and, and, and five years ago, s- staggering. It's a huge achievement. 20 years from now, oh, yeah, kids are sure. going to watch yeah. and be like, oh, that's the most fake thing I ever saw. But and I'm going to give you maybe Carrie Fisher, since it's such a short thing. Yeah. We might get away with that for a while. 
For, for a little while, but not Peter Cushing. It's, <laughs> and it's kind of redoing a scene we already have locked in our heads. Yeah, you know but, I mean? but, it, but it's so true. We're not going to. Yeah. And also, that stuff looks better on the big screen than it does oh, on, you know, the for way sure. that we're going Duff. to watch this movie for yeah. the rest of our lives. So, right, right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Carrie, you're right, Scott. Carrie Fisher passed away over a week after the film's release in the United States. Mm-hmm. She was unable to see the film for death and reportedly squealed at joy. Oh, she, she was, was able. able. She was she able was to see able. the film. Yeah, Sorry. she saw it. And she squealed the joy at seeing the younger version of herself as Princess Leia at the end of the movie. That's got to be a trip. Like, yep. you are you yep. are way yep. up there in years. You're like, I ain't got many days left. But back in the day, I was really something. And then you're on the screen, yep. you're like, oh, snap, that's me. That's, I'm, told that's you, me. I'm right? good. Look how high my boobs are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, in my head, I think she looks at that one scene, which is so beautifully placed in the movie because she mm-hmm. has one line, one word. Yeah. Hope. That's yep. all she says, right? And of course, what happens literally six hours later? A new hope. A yep. new hope. Which Hello. is another, another threading yeah. where they worked hope into it three separate times mm-hmm. in order to lead into a new hope. And that's that's the kind of granular detail of people who just adore something in, and want it to work. In my head, I always think like she looked at that and did obviously didn't know that she was not going to mm-hmm. see the rest of it and was like, yeah, okay, I see the princess general in this because she has already done some of the work for the movies that come after, of right. course. So right. she gets to see like, sure, I see princess. I, I see the princess general. Now, here. this is a this since they've got. Got Carrie Fisher so mapped in on CGI, and it's only going to get better and better. Mm-hmm. They, she still has plot threads to resolve in future movies. Uh, they had a chance to kill off her character and do it right, and they chose to have her do force magic in space and come back to the ship. I want to so, I want to reach the screen and punch you just for even bringing that up. But sorry, okay, sorry. <laughs> but now now we have to wonder how close are we to moving a step beyond the uncanny valley yeah. and being able to see CGI Carrie Fisher do small bits in the future Star Wars movies and how close are we to not even needing friggin' actors anymore for the most part? You know, I find that, you know, we deal a lot with that with narration and books and we're not there yet. We're not not there yet. We have uh, optical character recognition, we have mapping of an electronic voice and it still sounds a little like this when that happens, you know, so I I think we're not super close but I don't disagree that we're, I don't know, we're maybe not even a decade away. Grand Grand Moff Tarkin Grandma Tarkin is okay ish. Yeah, you okay. know what I mean? But the, the voice isn't right and, and the face looks like plastic. So yeah. you're right. I mean, there's still, but a few more generations where they can make the skin look real mm-hmm. and they get the voice modulation down. Yeah, I, I, we're uh, probably closer now than we ever have. After been. watching Rogue One, which is five years old. I think we're within 10 years away from where they'll be able to put up a character and you, uh, you'll you be able to tell the difference, but not so much that it will st- take you out of the story. And, and you're seeing this a lot in video games now. The, the ability to portray real-life movement in video games and real-life facial expressions has come mm-hmm. so far. And now we're, we're definitely we're on the precipice of being able to bring back old characters that haven't actually died in the, in the continuity and having them do smaller parts in the movie. And and we, be, mentioned, we mentioned Darth Vader's voice, and since that is already electronically modulated, it'll probably be a lot easier for them to yeah. just recreate you know, a, a computer saying his lines and his voice. And yeah. well, because it's supposed to sound kind of robotic, it might work. We already have that with, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to some of the deep fake audio and deep fake audio where you can just upload a script and hear it said in the tone, cadence and volume of Donald Trump, Barack Obama, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is friggin' indiscernible. So as far as they've got James Earl Jones, they're totally covered. Vader's going to be with us for all eternity and it'll, it'll be James Earl Jones voice it'll sound like him they're and they're probably already doing work they're probably doing impulse response and capturing his voice so that'll be cool what's interesting about that is um that is not a thing that when james earl jones signed on to be darth vader he would have ever thought about so there's yeah. a legality there. I'm interested to see how that works that's too. A like good we point. can take that's you really and make point. you live forever and you know oh. credit your estate well, I you think, know, or whatever. I think pretty sure with all the merchandising and everything else, especially after the first three movies, the the Star Wars uh, Lucasfilm was smart enough to make sure nobody gets royalties for any 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 ad- adaptations, merchandising, 
things of that nature. And you know Disney does it. Disney, if you mm-hmm. sign that contract, Disney, they get to use your face, likeness, name, voice, anything they want in, in perpetuity. In any medium, yep. and you will never get paid for it. That is how Disney works. Except you signed on to do a specific script or a specific character. Mm-hmm. So you own the choices you made. And those will still belong to James Earl Jones, just like even if we sell your script to Disney, the characters, the IP still belongs to you. They will, except they, won't, they will not buy it unless they take all those rights. Yeah, what I'm saying is he never signed up for that in 1977 because it wasn't a thing. No, or, but or he, did he? He, he, he has, you can, I can bet he has for all of the following movies. He might yeah, be a legacy. Probably. Right, he'd, be, probably. He'd, be like, he'd be like, here, James, sign this. Like, oh, no, I don't think I will. And, yeah. and they're like, God now, damn wait it. a minute. We got to put him in anyways. Yeah. Wait I'm, a minute. I. I guarantee what you know. He had to do forty-five minutes of voice work back in nineteen seventy-five. I guarantee he wasn't thinking. Oh, I better cover my ass here because in forty years I'm going to be doing the same damn thing over again. I got a feeling that didn't that didn't come across. Oh, wow, uh, James Earl Jones is mine. Uh, Nelson McClintock in the chat. Somebody asked, "Was it really six six hours before? Was this six hours before a New Hope?" And Nelson says, "This takes 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 place just for a New Hope and leads up to the ten minutes." before that classic film begins. There's no there's no specified number yeah. of how long there is between the right. movies. And Which when you make these things, you don't you don't want to do that. You want to leave that a little amorphous. Right. And that's actually an anonymous quote uh, from the Hollywood reporter. Ah. Um oh, saying okay. yeah, like they're saying like yeah, they, we can't say just what you said. We can't say this, but uh yeah, it's essentially the closest you can get to being a prequel. The last thing I'll yeah. say about this is, is stuff like that, that amorphous, how long between, which characters are where. This is stuff that Hollywood and Disney is wants to intentionally obfuscate because I learned this writing for, for the sure. Aliens franchise. I wrote a short story for Aliens that was called Dangerous Prey, and in it I talked to uh, entomology PhDs and biology, biology PhDs and, and combat veterans and basically explained everything you saw in Alien and Aliens as far as alien communication. What's the reason for the long head all this stuff i i defined all of it in this universe in, with in this, this universe and this with science, real yeah. physics because mm-hmm. aliens is our universe just extrapolated out and uh they came back and like no we're not you can't explain all this i'm like why not everybody wants to know how this works here it is like if you explain it there's no longer a sense of mystery what's more important now we have to map everything to that thing that you wrote that is canon yep. and we can't do new stuff without doing all this problem so we would rather leave that as a gray area and it was only after well, i was on the business side of it i'm like Okay, now I get it. That makes yeah. sense. Want, I get it. <laughs> I know we have to wrap up. We're past an hour, but I do want to say Rob brought up the most, what I think is the most important um, sort of artifact trivia piece of of uh, Rogue One mm-hmm. is that George Lucas watched it and loved it. Oh, and that's that great. matters that's so much wonderful. to me. That means a whole lot to me. That's really yeah. cool. If you're the producer, you're the writer, you're the director, you get that stamp you mm-hmm. uh just went you know from 6 p.m to midnight i mean that uh Absolutely. that's a sploosh got re- that is a straight really sploosh. excited about what know, just happened there. i don't even know if you need to go to midnight that's just it's a 6 p.m sploosh done, yeah. Yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh thank you guys so much for joining us this uh has been such a fun 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 it's fun cast so much yeah, yeah so much and the, i we're definitely next we're going to talk about movies that we don't have you know 30 years worth of love for mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometime soon, anyway. <laughs> um, so we are actually going to be back on May 1st with one of those. We're going to watch... Um, oh, May 15th. May I'm sorry, May 15th. Sorry about that. Um, we're going to be watching John Wick, the original John Wick. Because get- John Wick 4 yes. comes out yes. on 520. Talk about another franchise where they, they actually put put time into fight choreography, practicing, rehearsing, and doing fast-paced fight scenes where everything is logical from one side to the other. I think John Wick uh, is responsible for saving us from shaky cam, solely responsible Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for saving us from crappy shaky cam fight scenes. So I adore it, and I'm looking forward to that. Rob, you looking forward to that one? Well, listen, people keep asking me if I'm back. (laughs) And up till now, I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'll be back for that one. (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We will see you back here on the 15th. May the force be with you. All right, buddy. Later. Love you. Uh, Listen, you guys, if you're still listening and you're watching live... 
Uh, a reminder that tonight, starting at 4 p.m., two hours from now, there is a Junkie Happy Hour. If you go to the Sigler Junkies, you can find the link in Sigler Junkies. If somebody has it and they want to drop it in this chat now, if you're listening to the podcast, that is obviously over. So uh, that is it for Episode 70 of Story Smack. You can always find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and on Instagram, mm-hmm. and he is... Uh, Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler on Facebook. Uh, he's at twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. And you can find us online at facebook.com slash story smack. We live stream story smack every other Saturday at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. So if you're listening, listening in the podcast feed and you want to join the fun and see Rob and all of his lovely toys, you can just go watch us live at any of those every other Saturday. And of course, in addition to story smack, which we do every other Saturday, every single Wednesday during the pandemic, we do something called Sigler in place. It is just live TV for an hour right where you're watching this now. Come join us at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, hang out with us for an hour and have some fun. And we release an unabridged episode of a serialized podcast novel every week. You can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for the links. And we hope that you do subscribe so that you can hear Scott's books and more Story Smack and more Sigler's Place Goodness every week. And until next episode, may those god darn force criminals, terrorists, be brought to justice. <laughs> and we will talk to you all real, real soon. soon. Five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.